For our scripture reading this evening, we're in Revelation chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 6 and read down through the end of the chapter, which is also the end of God's Word. Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 6. Revelation 22 and verse 6, the Bible says, And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto us his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still, and he that is righteous, let him be righteous still, and he that is holy, let him be holy still." And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that it is, that is complete, that we have the whole counsel of God that has been given to us in, in written form in your word. And we just thank you so much for it. We thank you again for how it, how it ends here in your word. But Lord, this is your written word, but your spoken word continues to speak to us on a regular basis. And we thank you so much for that. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is in us and leads and guides us. Lord, I just pray that you'd be with preacher tonight as he speaks to us, fill him with your Holy Spirit. And I just pray that our hearts would be open to exactly what it is you'd have for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, we finally come to the last part of Revelation. Some of you thought we'd never get there, but we did. And uh, hopefully we'll finish up tonight as we look at God's last words. You should have an insert in your bulletin with notes there, 
And I think our ushers may have some extras of those. If you do not have one, if you'll wave your hand at them, they'll get one to you if you need one of those. And uh, just keep it up there for a minute until the guys get there. All right. Good. Thank you, gentlemen. Revelation chapter 22, we pick up where we left off this morning as we talked about the New Jerusalem and some of the things that were not there. As we finish up this chapter and finish up the book of Revelation and finish up the Bible, we look at God's last words. John, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, has come now to the end of his book and to the end of the Bible. Most people's last words are of special interest. And God's last words before the centuries of silence are of great significance. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're told that there's 400 years there. But from the time of the end of Revelation until today, there's a whole lot more years, isn't there? And God's word was completed, and he has not written any other books told somebody one time I was going to write 3rd Timothy, but uh, they asked me if I was going to write it in red ink so that it would be the words of Jesus, but uh, there's not going to be any 3rd Timothy or any other books added. God's word is completed, and I'm thankful for that. Notice with me, first of all, the faithful word of God. The faithful word of God. In verse number 6, it says, And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. Sin entered into the world back in the Garden of Eden when Satan questioned the Word of God. Eve entertained the question that Satan gave and was led into doubt about the accuracy and the authority of the Word of God. And now, the end of 66 books later, God ends his book, the Bible, with a fresh emphasis on the accuracy and the authority of the Word of God. Amen. Notice with me, first of all, the accuracy of the Word of God. Again, verse number 6, he says, These sayings are faithful and true. Now, the immediate reference here is to the book of Revelation. But the wider application covers all of the Bible, doesn't it? All of God's Word is faithful, and all of God's Word is true. We can trust it. God's Word is accurate. And the truths that are contained in the Word of God have been transmitted and recorded and arranged and preserved exactly as God had them in mind. Every jot, the Bible says, every tittle, every letter was God-breathed. And man may laugh at that truth, he may scoff at it, he may even deny it, but God declares that his word is faithful and true. Regardless of what man says, I think I'll take God's word, amen? amen? It's faithful and true. The accuracy of the word of God. And then notice the authority of the word of God. The authority. John has three things to say about the authority of his book and the Bible. First of all, he, I want you to notice how positively this truth is declared. How positively it's declared. He goes on in verse number 7, and he says to us, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The Lord kind of breaks in to the angel's conversation 
it is as though what he has to say is too good to be passed on to us merely by an angel. And so he says, Behold, I come quickly. That tells me it's not an angel that's speaking this, it's the Lord himself. Behold, I come quickly. And then notice what else he says. He that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book, blessed is he that keepeth. He says, I'm coming quickly. And he says, while you're waiting for my coming, keep my word. Keep the sayings of this book. Obey them, live by them, do them. Very positively the truth is declared. And then notice how patently this truth is declared. It's declared very patently in verse number 8. He says, and I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I heard them and... and when I had heard them and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Once already, in the book of Revelation, John has been told not to worship an angel. He's so overwhelmed, I believe, here with the glory and with the revelation that has been entrusted to him, that he does it again. And you know, the heart of mankind is much the same. We're not, we're not any different than John was, are we? Our heart is just like his, and, and it was, in a sense, a patent denial what John did of the entire message of the Word of God. And John knew better. The whole book of the Revelation is concerned with unveiling and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And John, in his frail human form, attempts to worship an angel. The Lord himself has just proclaimed the news that I'm coming quickly in verse 7. Behold, I come quickly. And after the Lord proclaims that, John worships the angel. He at least had the grace to confess it, to give us a warning and give us some instructions about it. You know, he says in, in verse number 9, Then saith he, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren, the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the book, of this book, Worship God. John straightens out what he did. You know, we have a lot of preachers, if I can say this, and quote-unquote religious leaders today that are encouraging the worship of themselves and focusing the attention on themselves and not on the Lord. And I'm glad the angel stopped John and said, John, you don't worship me, you worship God. He's the only one that is worthy of our worship. And then notice how plainly this truth is detailed in verse 9 again. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not. Very clear, very plainly. See thou do it not, the angel said, For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of the book, worship God. The angel took his place with all of those who govern their lives by the revealed word of God, and he says, in essence, all the authority of this book belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We bow at his feet and at his alone. And so John courteously and conscientiously and competently is led by this angel back to the authority of the word of God. This is God's word. If we abandon that, we abandon the gold standard and we bankrupt ourselves of everything else worthwhile. Amen. This is God's word and it's for you and me today. Then I want you to notice also the accessibility of the word of God. 
the accessibility. In verse number 10, he goes on to say, He saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. John is told not to seal. Back in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, Daniel was told to seal up one of his visions. And there's one of the judgments that God brought when God stopped John and said, John, don't write that. But here he says to him, he says, you're not to seal this up. Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You see, the truths that are given here to us in the book of Revelation are open, and God wants us to read it. A lot of times people say, well, I, don't, I just don't understand Revelation. I've heard, heard preachers say, I don't preach on Revelation. I don't understand it. Well, I'd be the first to admit I don't understand everything in the book of Revelation. But what does the very name of the book say? Revelation, it means to reveal. It's to reveal Jesus to us and his relationship to his church. And in light of the completed revelation of God, we can understand most of it as we read it and study it and allow God to help us to understand. The word of God, in other words, is accessible to us. We can read it, and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can understand God's word. Paul said in Romans 10 and verse 8, Thy word is nigh me. Or thy word is nigh thee. God's word is near to us. We can understand it. We can live it. We can build it into our lives. And so God here draws our attention to the faithful word of God. His word is faithful and his word is true. Visions and voices may have had their place in the past, but it is God's word, his authoritative word, his accurate word that is accessible to you and me, and it is the word of God that speaks to us today. The Word of God is our court of appeal, you might say. It's our final authority in every area of life and practice and faith. It all comes back to the Word of God. What does God's Word say? And thank God it is accessible. Aren't you glad we have the Bible in our language? When we think about, we're told half of the world does not have the Bible in their dialect. And even some of the countries that I've had the privilege of going to and visiting... Several times I've gone to countries that, that speak English and they can even read English, but they have their own native language that they're more comfortable in. I'm glad we have the Bible in our native language. Amen. It's accurate and it's accessible to us. And we can understand it and build it into our lives. And then notice with me, secondly, the finished work of Christ. The finished work of Christ is so important in these last few verses of this chapter, we find that God wants us to understand that his word is faithful and that his work is finished. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, you remember God slew an animal to provide the skins for Adam and Eve in order to clothe the first two naked sinners of the human race. And in doing so, God gave to them the first picture of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Those animals had to be slain and blood had to be shed in order for those, those coats of skin to be provided for Adam and Eve. And the only thing that will take care of our sin is the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood that was slain, that was shed for us on the cross at Calvary is the only thing that takes away our sin. Later, Abel brought 
his lamb to God, a token of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he offered that lamb that was an acceptable sacrifice. And it was, the Bible says, more acceptable than that sacrifice of, Abel, of Cain because Abel brought the slain lamb. Abel brought the fruit of his hands and the fruit of the ground. God only accepted the blood sacrifice. And God dedicates much space in the Bible to give us the important theme that the work of Jesus Christ was finished on Calvary, and that's the only thing that will be accepted in payment for our sin. And so he closes the book of Revelation and the Bible with one last look at the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The finished work of Christ settles what we are, it settles where we are, and it settles whose we are. First of all, it settles what we are. Look at verse number 11. He says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. You see, when time is over, and we stand before God, God says, those that are filthy will still be filthy for eternity. Those who are righteous will be righteous for eternity. In other words, when your life is over, there's no switching gears, there's no changing sides. Your eternal destiny is settled forever. And so God says those that are unjust will be unjust still. Those which are filthy will be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. It settles what we are. The Lord Jesus Christ, remember on the cross at Calvary, separated two thieves on that cross. One of them trusted in the dying Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The other rejected Jesus Christ and spent eternity and will spend eternity in hell forever and forever. Men are born in sin. We are shaped in iniquity. And it's only through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ that we can be fashioned anew and that we can be made fit for heaven. We can be made righteous so that we can be righteous still. Apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, a person goes on sinning until finally at his death his character is forever settled and fixed and final in that terrible mold. He stays in iniquity. He stays unjust. He stays filthy still. The wicked go on being wicked for all of eternity. The one thief died blaspheming God. And probably today, if we could listen into hell, we would hear that thief still blaspheming Almighty God. The lost go on sinning. They go on suffering. The righteous, on the other hand, continue to be righteous. We're eternally holy, and therefore, we're eternally happy in the presence of our Lord. And the cross of Jesus Christ stands between those two sinners, and it stands between the sinner and the saint. It separates one from the other for all of time and for all of eternity. It settles who we are. And then secondly, the finished work of Christ settles where we are. It settles where we are. The Bible says, where I am, ye cannot come. Jesus was telling the Pharisees, 
who didn't believe in him, and they want to know where he's going. And he said, where I am, you cannot come. And that's the word of Jesus to those who rejected him. Those who reject him cannot come where he is. The Apostle Paul said that he would depart and be with Christ. Well, I'd rather be like Paul than like those Pharisees, amen? I want to be with Christ. I don't want him to say, where I am, you cannot come. You cannot be there. Notice those that will be with him. In verse number 12, it says, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his work. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. You see, those that will be with him have the promise of his coming to sustain them. He's promised us that he's coming back. And in verse 12, he said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. We who know the Lord as our Savior, we are sustained, we are encouraged, we are helped by that promise. I come quickly. But those who reject Jesus Christ do not have that promise like we do. What an encouraging promise it is. Picture a family whose father has been sent away for weeks He's told his children that if they were good, when he comes back, he'll bring some presents for them. He'll have some gifts for the children. In light of that promise, his children put forth their best behavior, and they behave themselves well while dad is gone. And then one night, the phone rings, and sure enough, it's dad. And he's coming home, and he tells them, I'm coming back, and I'll be there soon. I've kept my promise. I have something for you all. Then he asks the question, have you been good? It's kind of what the Lord is saying to us here. He's saying, behold, I come quickly. And then he says, blessed are they that do his commandments, in verse 14, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. He keeps on telling us that as his book comes quickly to an end, he is coming back and his reward is in his hand. So they have the promise of his coming to sustain them. They also have the provision of his cross to sustain them. In verse number 14 again, he says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. And then he talks about the ones that are outside, the dogs, the sorcerers, whoremongers, and so forth. Why do we get to go into the city? Because we have the cross, the provision of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary that gives us that place of eternal life. Look back to Revelation. That's chapter 22, verse 17. Look back to Revelation 7 and verse 14. That's 22, verse 14. Look at Revelation 7, 14. Kind of the same message that's given there. In Revelation 7 and verse 14, it says, And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, we do his commandments, as he tells us in verse 14, Blessed are they that do his commandments. We do his commandments because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've been cleansed. We've been forgiven. And again, here, once again, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen. It is only by the blood of the Lamb of God 
that our spiritual raiment is cleansed and we're prepared for heaven. It is the finished work of Christ alone and it opens to us a new way through the gates into the city and to the tree of life that he talks about and we talked about this morning. As we wait for his coming, we have the promise of his coming to sustain us. We have the provision of his cross to sustain us. And then I want you to notice those that will be without. Those who are without him. Look at verse number 15. He tells us of them. He says, without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. He starts out with saying, without are dogs. Dogs is an Eastern term of contempt for anybody who is vile or unclean. And God says that's the kind of people that are without. They're not going to be allowed into this city. It'll be terrible enough for the lost to be in torment in the lake of fire forever and ever, but their agony will be intensified by the knowledge of what they will do without for all of eternity. They'll have full knowledge of all that could have been theirs had they trusted Christ. They will know that they are lost forever. They can never have those things that were available to them and they rejected them in rejecting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The agony of the rich man, you remember that Jesus tells us about Lazarus and the rich man and the rich man opened up his eyes and was in hell and that agony was intensified greatly by the fact that he could look across that gulf that was fixed and he could see Abraham or he could see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and he could see the bliss and the joy. Now in the Old Testament days, when a person died, a lost person went to hell, the saved person went to Abraham's bosom, and there was a great gulf they could see between each other, but there was a great gulf, one from there, the ones in hell couldn't get out and get to heaven, the ones in heaven couldn't get out and go to hell. God says a great gulf fixed. But when Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead. The Bible says he led captivity captive. He descended into hell. He took those in Abraham's bosom to heaven, and there's not an Abraham's bosom today like there was in the Old Testament. Today the saints are with him. And the Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But the agony of that lost man to see Abraham in the bliss and in the joy of heaven reminded him of what he could have had had he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Hell will be made infinitely more unbearable by the thought of what has been lost by rejecting the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when that rich man asked Abraham to send Lazarus that he could dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, do you remember what Abraham said? He said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime had good things. But what I want you to think about is that word remember. He said to that rich man, remember. And I think one of the terrible things of hell is that lost people will remember what they could have had and what they rejected. I believe a person who dies and goes to hell will forever remember the last gospel message they heard. I think those who read the gospel tract that we've given out and rejected it will for all of eternity in their minds remember that gospel tract. 
I think they'll remember the prayers of a grandma or grandpa or dad or mom that they heard praying for their son or daughter to come to Christ. They'll remember those prayers. They'll remember that radio preacher or they'll remember that television preacher. And for all of eternity, they'll be reminded of what they could have had. But they rejected it. And now they are without him for all of eternity. And so it settles who we will be without. It also settles whose we are. Whose are we? Look at verse number 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. It settles whose we are. Think about that for a moment. Whose are we? We belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to Jesus. He said, I'm the one that is the root and offspring of David. I'm the bright and morning star. He is the lover of the church. He is the Lord of the earth. He is the light of creation. And we belong to him as a child of God. That's what makes us his. His finished work on the cross at Calvary. And we should praise God for that finished work. Praise God for our salvation. We sing that little chorus sometimes. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation, so rich and so free. There ought to never be a day that goes by that you don't stop and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Amen. Settles whose we are. The faithful word of God, the finished work of Christ, and then notice the final witness of the Spirit. The work of God... The Word of God, the work of Christ, and the finished witness of the Spirit. It's fitting that the sacred Word of God would close with a reference to the Holy Spirit. For He is the author of this book. He's the one who inspired every chapter, every verse, and every line. He is the omnipotent genius behind the miracles in these words in this book we call the Bible. There are three last things that the Holy Spirit of God has to say before God closes the book, the inspired book. First of all, notice the last welcome. In verse number 17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is the first come. And whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. Come. I believe come is the greatest word in the gospel. Come. It first rang out in the days of Noah when God was about to pour out his wrath upon this earth and he sent down the flood or he sent the storms and the rain and the flood came as a result of it and the ark was lifted up in those waters. But before the rain came, God invited Noah and his family into the ark and for 120 years, Noah preached and said to the people, come, come, come. And they didn't listen, did they? God finally turned to Noah and said, Noah, come. And Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives came. And over and over again, those blessed words of God ring out in our ears and ring out through the word of God, his book forever, and God pounds it into our hearts again. Come, come. The Spirit says, come. And the saints say, come. And every sinner who hears the message and responds says, come. 
It is the last welcome, and those who refuse to heed it will one day hear the other word, the dreaded word. They'll hear Jesus say, depart. For Matthew chapter 7 says, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Boy, I'm sure glad I listened to the word come, aren't you? I'm glad I came. I'm glad I never have to worry about God saying to me, depart from me, because I've heard his word come. And I've trusted Him as my Lord and Savior. Come to what? He says, come to the water of life. And drink freely. So He gives us the last welcome. Then He gives the last warning. In verse number 18, it says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city from the things which are written in this book. The Bible contains many warnings to us. It begins with a warning to Adam, a warning to Eve. They were warned not to eat. In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Bible ends with a warning to you and me, a warning that is given to us that takes in the entire Word of God. God, and here's His warning, God will not have His Word tampered with. Eve, when she encouraged and encountered the serpent, she added to what God said, and she subtracted from what God said. And her sin opened up the door to the curse coming upon them, to the banishment from the Garden of Eden, to the peril and eternal doom that would face everyone who rejected Jesus Christ. And God reminds us in this last chapter of Revelation that the wrath of God abides on those who tamper with His Word. Cutting out parts of the Word of God. Adding to parts of the Word of God. It's a dangerous thing. I know the primary application of this verse has to do with the book of Revelation, but it applies to all of the Bible in its entirety. God guards His Word and God warns anybody who tampers with it. Revelation opens with a blessing to those that will read and hear and keep the Word of God. And it ends with a curse for those that will tamper with it. Some years ago we had a lady in our church and she was maybe a little bit educatably slow, not a lot. But I remember she called me one night and she was just sobbing. She was in tears. And she had been marking in her Bible and underlining a verse or something. And she had underlined the wrong word that she, she had intended to underline something else. And so she took an eraser and she tried to erase the ink that she had underlined. And she erased it and tried so hard that she actually tore a hole in that page and the word was completely gone. And she called me weeping and she said, Brother Tim, I've taken away from the word of God. And she was serious. And she was deeply troubled about it. And I want to tell you something this morning. I have more respect for that young lady than I do for the translators of the NIV that take the blood out of Colossians 1.14. And many of the translations of our 
Bible have left out words and sometimes whole verses. And God gives us a warning here. He said, don't add to, don't take away from the Word of God. And then we have the last word that He gives to us. In verse number 20, it's a word about glory. He says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Three times in the closing chapter, the Lord breaks in and reminds us that He comes quickly. Back in verse number 7, He said, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. In verse 12, he said, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. And now in verse 20, he says, Surely I come quickly. This is his last word. It seems like it's been a long time since that word was given, doesn't it? Some of you are old enough to remember that long. or maybe not quite that old. It's been almost 2,000 years that have gone by. And you say, how can he say, behold, I come quickly? Well, remember that to the Lord, that's only about two days. He said in 2 Peter 3.8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. It's just been a couple of days for the Lord. Behold, I come quickly. No wonder the church responds and says, Even so come, Lord Jesus. At any moment, He could split the eastern sky and the trumpet could sound and we can be out of here. He is coming back again. And we're looking forward to Him coming. Even so come. What's the last two words of that verse? Verse, 30, verse 20. Lord Jesus. Even so come, Lord Jesus. You see, even to the very end, we address Him as Lord. Amen. He may refer to Himself as Jesus, and the Holy Spirit may call Him Jesus, but our name for Him is Lord. Amen. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He's our Lord. There's a word about His glory. And then there's also a word about his grace. In verse 21, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. How like God it is that he closes his book with a word about grace. The grace of God. Were it not for the grace of God, none of us would have any hope of heaven. John Newton wrote those words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Does grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace. God ends his book by saying, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Amen. And God reminds us, the last thing he says, last thing he records, 
He says, I want to remind you of my grace. And I'm so glad for that grace that enables us. For by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. The grace of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these wonderful verses that John recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He reminds us of your glory and of your grace. He reminds us of who we are and whose we are, what we are, where we are. He reminds us of where we're going. I'm so glad we responded to that invitation, come, and we'll never hear the words depart. Would you help us as we think about heaven, as we think about eternity, as we think about what you've given to us, May our hearts be filled with praise and adoration and honor for the one who's made it all possible, for that finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Thank you for paying our sin debt. Thank you that before the world ever began, you already planned the Lamb of God that was slain before the world began. Thank you for providing salvation fully and freely. Thank you for loving us. We feel sometimes like David who said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? We're just a speck in the universes. And yet you care about us. As we sang our chorus, Oh, how he loves you and me. Thank you for your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.